The simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. I'm Dr. Lin from Bakerpedia, the world's largest online technical resource for baking. Usually, I'm the host on the show asking all the questions, but today is different. Today, I share an interview by Christine Sherrod from William Reed Business Media. I will be clearing up the air on a recent garden article that talks about ADA in bread and how it may cause cancer. Here's Christine. Do you want to talk a little bit about the background of that? Sure. So we started, I started doing a little bit of research into it, sort of spurred by a piece that was written in The Guardian, which is a publication that is not just read by people that read something like the sites that I write for, which is mainly trade, but also you know, your average consumer is reading something like The Guardian. And it was specifically about, uh, I might not pronounce it totally correctly, but azodicarbonamide um, and uh, how that particular chemical has been effectively banned from use in food products and particularly in breads in many countries in Europe, Australia, um, even China. and the question that the Guardian article sort of posed and dug into was why the U.S. Uh, still permits it to be in food, at, you know, up to a certain parts per million. So we were, you know, just kind of looking into that to find, you know, sort of industry expert analysis of that and bring it to the attention of our audience, uh, many of whom have probably already turned away from using something like that. I know Mm -hmm. on Bakerpedia, you have uh, various examples of other other ingredients that can be to achieve similar effects, right? So, um, So that is kind of what spurred the conversation and uh, potassium bromate is something that uh, I learned in some of the research I was doing that the state of California, for instance, does not permit potassium bromate, but uh, has not yet added um, azodicarbonamide to its list of uh, chemicals that have are known to cause cancer, the Prop 65 list. And so that was sort of interesting to me as well that, right. you know, here's this state that has this whole list of items and this question is still sort of unanswered, so to speak, because they too have uh, differing opinions on it from elsewhere in the world. Right. So before I go into explaining why and why not, um, I have a question for you. Like as a person who's not working in the baking industry, what the research that you've done on the internet, what did you come up with so far? Uh, Well, so in, well, with something like this, as I'm sure you're all well too aware, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of information that you will stumble upon on the internet that is from a source that 
as a journalist, I would never cite, <laughs> right. if that makes sense. So a yeah. lot of a uh, blogging but, type. But those, those seem to like appear on positions one and two when you do your Google search, right? Right. They're, they're pretty <laughs> high up there. They're right. pretty high up there. Thankfully, when you search um, azote carbonamide, Bakerpedia was on page one Yay. when I just did another double check this morning. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, it was kind of halfway down. So, and then it, there was one, one of the search results was from the blogger activist who mm-hmm. was allegedly the one to kind of break open if that's the term we want to use the sort of controversy that arose a few years ago i think it was in 2014 so uh so yes there's a lot of uh i I don't know if i really want to say amateur information but definitely not you know an authorized scientific uh source a lot of just people kind of chatting about it and then there was also kind of mixed into their as I mentioned, Bakerpedia, and then also the FDA. And it seems that the FDA very likely added a a whole page dedicated to sort of an FAQ about this Mm -hmm. particular chemical because of the controversy that uh, the public uh, controversy that sort of arose a few years ago. So um, so that being said, I, there is a lot of that. What I was sort of looking for, you know, I reached out to the Environmental Protection Agency of the state of California as an example to uh, sort of get their two cents on it as well. Um, somebody like you, obviously, and um, the FDA, who I believe has been uh, very slow to respond to me, which they are sometimes, but yeah, they can be, you know, and, <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> there was a, uh, opinion, a scientific opinion from the EU in 2005 where, uh, they did not find, um, uh, that, that, um, semi semi which is a byproduct of, um, the AZA, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so AZA, when you bake it, it turns into semi-cubazite. So they did do a study that said that it was not, it was not dangerous. So um, this was a 2005 study that I could forward to you. Um, but basically, um, you know how everybody thinks that ADA or AZA, as you call it, is scary, right? But reality is it, it, it's a breakdown of uh, ADA that it is potentially, again, potentially uh, carcinogenic. So no studies have been um, done about that. Um, in fact, <clears throat> the biggest exposure to SEM or uh, semi-cubazite is from... Um, uh, what do you call the gaskets of uh, glass jars, especially in mm-hmm. baby food. And even that, the worst case scenario uh, for an adult would be 0.02 uh, micrograms per, day, uh, per kilo per day. So it is really, really, really low. So the, the EU did a study on this and pretty much came back and said, hey, you know, the risks are not high, right? So um, I do not know why they banned this, and I don't know why they banned it in China either. 
Um, so that's why, you know, when people say, when people do the comparison on, um, why things are allowed here and things are not allowed there and, you know, things like GMO and stuff like that, we don't know a lot of the, um, behind the scenes, uh, decision-making methods, right? It could be a trade thing. It could be, you know, um, something that they just don't want to see on their labels, um, what I feel that the FDA is doing, FDA is pretty much basing it on scientific evidence. And there isn't enough scientific evidence to say that SEM inbred causes cancer. So mm-hmm. that is why FDA has been, uh, you know, has, has looked at this and have not formed a formal ruling. And probably that's also the reason why, you know, California hasn't done that. So one of the studies that I've looked at that's really important that I can forward to USL as well is a 2008 study uh, by uh, Noonan. And uh, they studied the semi-cabazite formation in flour and bread. And um, honestly, to summarize this for you, they found the same thing. Really, really low levels that are very... um, um, unconcerning to, uh, you know, to causing cancer. So what I'm looking at is a scientific evidence and I don't find enough scientific evidence to say that, oh yeah, we should outlaw or, you know, um, uh, disallow the use of this ingredient, uh, mainly because, you know, I don't like the name or I found enough scientific evidence to show that it causes cancer. Um, so I feel like your question, when you ask that about FDA, that's where they stand because they don't have enough evidence. Um, the, only, um, the only concern is coming from all the blogs and all the um, articles that you read you know, on the internet that says that it is, it is a product that is not meant for human consumption, um, it's found in, um, you know, uh, plastic objects. Um, so that's the information that the FDA is getting. And there is really nothing scientific backing it up. Um, although over the years, um, because of, um, you know, a lot of uh, consumer concern over the long pronunciation of this name, um, a lot of the bakers have really switched out uh, azodicarbonite and really looked into alternatives. Now, that is good because we are now proving that there are alternatives to this particular ingredient. You know, regardless of whether it's causing cancer or what, you know, it's, just, it's, not, a, it's not an attractive thing to put on the label. Right. And um, through the use of some other uh, oxidation um, system using ascorbic acid and enzymes, a lot of the bakers now have switched over without ADA. You know, um, so back to the discussion on, on potassium bromate, you know, and, 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 its, and its status in California. Um, there are studies that still says that the the amount of uh, carcinogens left in using potassium bromate um, is very minimal, right? So, mm-hmm. but the studies I, I believe have so, has shown to, uh, uh, to be um, 
needing a cautionary note in California. And that's why they have put that label to it. So um, let me take you um, a step back, maybe a couple of steps back to the history of why these things are used, okay? Um, mainly because, you know, I, I have to uh, showcase the importance of these um, uh, ingredients. So back in the days where bread was just, you know, um, industrialized, so basically it went from, you know, mom and pop stores to um, industrialization, big fermentation tanks, you know, higher output, you know, um, some of the bakers in this country have forego um, the fermentation step and the oxidation step. So many have transferred over from uh, long sponge and dough systems to just short dough, straight dough systems, somewhere from, you know, eight hours of fermentation right down to 90 minutes of fermentation. So with that comes, you know, the need to put in ingredients um, that oxidize the process faster. And that's why, you know, potassium bromate and ADA were so popular because, you know, it just quickens the process. It gives the bread ex extra volume, right? Um, with that came the inability to obtain matured flour anymore. So previously we were getting flour that there was, um, it was aged probably about two to four weeks, you know, with the introduction of these chemicals, uh, bakers didn't need uh, um, aged flour anymore. So they went into flour that's milled uh, and used within 48 hours. And um, they do that because when you use aged flours, you need silos and tanks that takes up space to hold a flour for two to four weeks or to be on rail cars for two to four weeks. But, you know, we're coming to this new system where, oh my gosh, I can use this magical ingredient and it, it doesn't need aged flour anymore. You know, um, it's, it's a, a really big innovation back in the time, right? So um, I think by 1970s, 1980s, potassium bromate was a go-to ingredient to solve these space issues, to increase the speeds of the lines and inevitably to reduce the cost of bread, you know? So, um, and then came the late 80s and early 90s where potassium bromate was slowly phased out. And when potassium bromate was phased out, that's when everybody turned to its ADA. Everybody thought that ADA was like the next magical drug, you know? Um, or the next magical in ingredient to use uh, for volume and for quality uh, improvements in, in flour and bread. So that's where a lot of attention switched from potassium bromate to ADA. And um, just recently, you know, in the last, you know, uh, within the last decade, there's so much um, uh, um, focus on getting ADA out. And that's where we are at right now is, is the industry is looking at ADA and saying it's the bad guy, but nobody can really support the evidence of this is a bad guy. But in the meantime, a lot of bakers have found solutions in terms of um, enzymes and ascorbic acids and um, other label friendly uh, emulsifiers to, you know, to really replace the um, job of ADA.
So um, if you ask me in terms of science, you know, science has not supported the claim that ADA is carcinogenic and um, in the amounts that it's been consumed. Um, uh, you know, that's why it's, I guess, to answer your question, you know, that is why it's allowed, it's still allowed in the U.S. And to say that FDA is not doing its job, we don't know what's going on in FDA or what, what, what kind of scientific um, evidence they're arguing against, right? Because honestly, a lot of ingredients that are allowed um, in the U.S. are not allowed elsewhere. And there are ingredients allowed in um, you know, Europe that aren't allowed in the U.S. as well. I mean, you talk about things like cyclomates and cyclomates have been proven to cause cancer, you know, and it's allowed in the EU. So, you know, those are the things that we don't understand what's going on there. But at the same time, I don't think that's a fair comparison to say that we should use EU's laws to uh, legislate our ingredients. I don't, I, don't, I just don't think that um, they hold the same standards as the FDA. I was curious to get your thoughts on, you know, it. sometimes things can get caught up in you know, just mired in controversy for no real reason, so to speak. You know, all of a sudden this news gets out into the public sphere in a way that it hadn't been before. And, Mm. you know, it sounds as though the FDA has, you know, and the state of California, for instance, has perfectly viable, trustworthy scientific evidence to not make what otherwise could be considered sort of a brash decision to ban something because, you know, people don't like the name, as you said, or uh, whatever. Um, Are there other examples of things like that? And do you think, it sounds like you think that the, you know, the FDA and the EU in some cases, as you said, there's always exceptions on both sides of the pond, so to speak. Um, well, if you ask me, cyclomates uh, have been proven and they're more dangerous than ADA. So, <laughs> yeah. And I guess how, so is it, it's interesting to me that the industry still, you know, slowly started moving away from, from potassium bromate and then sort of turned to AZA. And mm-hmm. now you're seeing it sort of uh, be replaced by other replacements. Is that just an ongoing cycle that it is? Yeah. I mean, I really think that, um, I really think that both ADA and potassium bromate is probably are never going to be, you know, outlawed in this country, um, mainly based on the, uh, lack of scientific evidence, but at the same time, I think consumer groups, are, uh, uh, the voices from the consumer groups are higher and louder, mm-hmm. and that's why they are going to be taken off, right? Um, I'm not for or against. I'm just, you know, wondering where is the science, you know, behind that, and if people um, can work with uh, enzymes and ascorbic acid and they are happy with that, you know, that's that's. You know, that's my perspective as well. If you're happy, I'm happy, you know, but sure. if you ask me whether it causes cancer, well, I'm going to be frank with you. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. So is there, is there something, you know, you mentioned, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but you mentioned another ingredient that ha- that is allowed in the EU that isn't in the U.S. Is there something like that 
that consumer groups could be focusing more of their attention on that you see as potentially actually problematic based on scientific evidence and that the the ire has sort of been misplaced perhaps oh my gosh so many examples right i mean it's just like as long as you can't pronounce the uh chemical sounding name people are trying to you know um um you know just just they're trying to diss it right i mean you're talking about things like SSL, you know, datum, and you're talking about CSL, you know, the chemically sounding names, PGMEs, uh, and all anything that sounds like propylene glycol, you know, so those things are, um, haven't been proven to cause any kind of health concern. But at the same time, people don't like it on their food labels, because they just want everything natural and clean sounding. Um, but Christine, the reality is um, you have to worry about the food safety aspects, um, how, how these food products look on the shelves, you know, how they last through uh, the life cycle. And, um, you know, consumer groups, um, they have no idea when they, they finger point at food manufacturers for putting these emulsifiers in there, for putting, you know, the uh, preservatives in there because, um they are put in there so that the product can last longer on the shelf and the longer it lasts on the shelf, the more affordable, you know, it is for the end consumer. And if the end consumer um, does not want that as a choice, then um, they have to pay more for the food product. And that's why we're see, seeing this shift, right? When you're taking out emulsifiers, you're taking out chelating agents, antioxidants, and making the label more friendly, but they lack the shelf life and they cost more expensive. That's why, you know, the, the natural aisle, the, um, you know, the organic aisle is uh, uh, grocery stores are so expensive, right? Because you can't just hold that product on there for such a long time, you know, and you can't uh, run at the speeds that the, the manufacturing uh, facilities are running at. That's why they're so much more expensive. So really the consumer groups need to think about, you know, this aspect of things. Do I want my, um, my food products to be more cost affordable or, or am I willing to pay premium for this? You know, just for example, I mean, I have a family of five. I feed five people in my house every single day. You know, our grocery bill is about two to three hundred dollars a week. You know, and we do conventional, not you know, not uh, all all GMO. You know, and um, we shop at very uh, regular um, grocery stores like Kroger. You know, so uh, over here in Oregon, it's Fred Meyer's. And um, th that's what I can afford. That's what our family can afford. But if you're asking me to go uh, GMO-free, uh, organic, and um, shop at Whole Foods or, you know, even New Seasons for a week, my grocery bill is going to double, right? So for a lot of um, American middle-income families, um, the way of producing in terms of manufacturing and high speeds and making it cost affordable is really important. It's especially important to families like mine. And um, I take safeguard into what I put in my family's um, bodies, right? So I am very supportive um, and, and I uh, look towards the FDA for rulings, you know, in terms of what's dangerous, what's not dangerous, 
what's what is being hyped up by the organic you know sector you know uh, some of the holistic groups are really advocates for going uh, GMO free you know so a lot of those things it's like what what's up what's what's up next Len for you know chopping block you know which ingredients going up in the chopping block and um, my answer to that is um, I don't see any ingredients um, as uh, risky or uh, dangerous to the health that's li listed as GRAS, G-R-A-S, uh, uh, by the D FDA. So um, I don't want to see more ingredients go away because I feel like every time something goes away, something more expensive comes in to take its place. And that's not good in general for everybody. You know, so uh, I really depend on the grass list um, coming from the FDA and I look at the FDA's website, you know, for any kind of updates on ingredients and uh, scientific studies. Though I have to admit that the FDA lacks in science communication um, because one of the <laughs> articles on semi-carbazite um, that they produced that was meant for public distribution um, even I have a PhD and I can't understand it. So uh, that's something that they need to work on. If, um, if their job, if the FDA's job is there to legislate, then they need to make science uh, communication easier to understand. And if they don't, then their jobs will be fighting fires, not, not legislating, you know. So that's where I'm at right now. I hope I don't see any more ingredients on the chopping block. I just don't want to see more than that. <laughs> you know, do you see the clean label or whatever you want to, whatever terminology you want to use, the, the new replacements that have come along to sustain uh, shelf life, for instance, or appearance, are those achieving the same kinds of uh, goals that the industry wants and is is it a good thing or is it a bad thing or is it just a thing? Are you um, sort of neutral on it? So I have seen, I have seen clean label solutions that are pretty innovative and mind blowing. Um, and I'll, I mean, I, in, in terms of replacing ADA, I think the industry over the years have done an excellent job in phasing that uh, ingredient out by introducing new innovation and technology on it. Um, so that's good to me. I don't see a huge price increase in that. Um, but at the same time, uh, the industry is struggling with uh, replacing quite a bit of all the other um, dirty sounding, you know, ingredients like uh, things that contain aluminum, things that contain nitrates, you know, things that contain uh, mono and diglycerides and poly uh, PGMEs. Um, so those things are really hard to replace and that's where we're struggling at. Um, and I have not seen really good technology in terms of the chemical leavening side of the business. Um, to really go all natural or clean sounding. So there is a lot of work to do. And um, I guess perhaps it's a good thing after all, because I'm starting to see innovations coming from ingredient companies actually um, in replacing all these um, chemical sounding uh, 
mm-hmm. chemical sounding ingredients, you know. So um, it's good and bad, Christine. It's not, you know, it's 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 not all good, right? And it's not all bad. So that's that's my take on it. <laughs> There you have it. The industry is going through some major shifts, and this is coming from consumer groups that are vocal about what they want in their food. The science is saying that there are no evidence of cancer-causing ingredients that are currently in our food supply. I know, I know. Some of you may want to disagree with me, but let me tell you this: if you burn your bacon or you overbrown your meat on a grill. The heterocyclic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons on there are more likely to cause cancer than any bromate or ADA residues found in bread. And I say more likely, but really hasn't been proven in any animal studies either. Well, I hope I gave you a dose on why we need to be cautious on what we say that causes cancer. I'm really tired of people touting organic and non-GMO food items because the science behind that is questionable. Hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat organic. That's your prerogative. I'm saying don't be telling me to eat organic and infringing on my non-organic GMO grocery aisle because you think that your organic and non-GMO food is safer and cancer-free, which is really not by, by science either. To sum it all, conventional food and organic food sold in the U.S. of A is safe, as regulated by the FDA. If you have any more questions on this, please contact me through my team at support@bakerpedia.com. That's all for this podcast, bakers. Before I end, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast series with your coworkers. Till the next time, bakers. Bake using science. Science is good for you.